Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, we're going to talk about the massive Pathfinder Humble Bundle, as well as a reminder about the Cobalt Press Worlds Humble Bundle that are going on right now. Two fantastic deals in role-playing game stuff. We're going to talk about what the new normal looks like in this hobby after the whole OGL debacle that's been going on for the last month. Is it over? Is it not over? How do we feel about it? What direction? What 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 are we going to do about? What are we going to do about this? What's the new normal look like? We're going to look at the free Prisoner 13 adventure from Keys to the Golden Vault, which is available on D&D Beyond. We're going to do a product spotlight for Raiders of the Serpent Sea and a Kickstarter spotlight for Kibble's Compendium of Legends and Legacies, along with the final questions from the January 2023 Patreon Q&A. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things RPGs. This show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to an exclusive Discord channel, the Patreon Q&A, all kinds of exclusive adventures, the City of Arches sourcebook, and a whole lot more, you can become a patron of Sly Flourish by following the link down in the show notes below. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. One of the things that's been going on with this whole OGL thing is we've seen some tremendous deals in role-playing game products. One of them that I became aware of this past week is the Pathfinder 2 Humble Bundle. For this Humble Bundle, there is you get access to 28 different items for $25, including all of the core books for Pathfinder 2. If you want to check out Pathfinder 2, if you want to see what it's like, you want to look at how it works, you want to just give it a, give it a look, don't really want to buy all the physical books yet. Maybe you're not sure that you're going to run it for your game. This is by far the best way to dig into it. There's also a bunch of adventures, adventure paths, all different kinds of things. It's got these really cool flip mats. I'm a huge fan of the Paizo and Pathfinder flip mats. I use them physically, but also the digital versions are really cool because it gives you a bunch of beautiful maps that you can drop right into your VTT, whatever system you're playing. So you get a whole lot of stuff for your $25, for your $25. Definitely a good deal. One thing that's important to note is in order to get these products, you have to have a Paizo, an account over on the Paizo website. They're going to give you four codes that you have to redeem over on the Paizo website, and you have to have an account in order to redeem those codes and then it will add them to your product library and you can download them from that library. I had a bit of a trick trying to get my account to work. I would log in and it wouldn't say that I was logged in. I ended up having to create like an incognito window or like a private browser and logging in there and that seemed to work. So things can be a little weird. So make sure you keep in mind that when you do redeem this, it's going to be a little bit, if you don't have a Paizo account, if you don't have anything like that, it's going to be a little bit of a hassle for you to create an account, redeem the codes and download all the products from there. It's not like you buy this one thing, you get all the downloads. But still, for 20 $25 for 28 products. The page count alone is enormous. If you want to check out Pathfinder 2, this is by far the best way to check it out. So you can find a link to this humble bundle for Pathfinder 2 down in the show notes below. Cobalt Press and Friends is still running their RPG Worlds Humble Bundle. You have about five, from the time that I am recording this, you have six days from the time this video goes out, you have about five days. Basically, next week is your last chance to get on it. Trust me, you're going you're gonna to want to get in on this. $25 for 52 items. Southlands, Vault of Magic, Book of Ebon Tides, Empire of the Ghouls. All kinds of different stuff that you can get for this. Tons of Cobalt Press stuff, tons of stuff from other publishers, Courts of the Shadow Fae. It is a huge deal. I, ha I, I did not actually back this one because I have almost everything that's in here already. The City of Cats, Tome of, Tome of Beast, Two Lairs, Ultimate Bestiary. It's a tremendous value of 
RPG products for other worlds. Big on Cobalt Press, but lots of products from other publishers. The old school essentials books are in here as well. It is a huge way to get access to kind of classic, classic D&D, classic 5e stuff, and, and a, a great way to get a whole bunch of Cobalt Press products for very, very cheap. Again, about two of these PDFs out of the 52 would cost you $25 on their own. And you're getting 52 PDFs for this RPG Worlds bundle. I have not seen a better deal for Cobalt Press products, but maybe I haven't seen a better deal for any RPG products than this 52 item bundle for $25. So you only got five days left. So check it out. There's a link in the show notes below. Pick it up. It looks really good. So we're in a kind of a weird state. We had for the past months, beginning at the end of December and lasting until the end of January, we were involved in this whole Wizards of the Coast open gaming license debacle where they attempted to to deauthorize the OGL, which caused all kinds of tremendous problems in the RPG industry, and then turned around and instead released the 5.1 SRD into the Creative Commons in a Creative Commons attribution license, which is the most open Creative Commons license short of public domain. The only thing you have to do is attribute it to Wizards of the Coast with, I think it's two sentences in your product and you're good to go. And they said they would not deauthorize the OGL 1.0A, which helps a whole bunch of legacy products. But it does put us in this kind of funny spot. They, they did mention that they want to add other things into the Creative Commons as well. So that is something that we're keeping an eye on. And then Wizards of the Coast started just turning on their marketing arm again and putting out the marketing for Keys to the Golden Vault, a book that's coming out, I think, only in a couple of weeks. The D&D movie is obviously a big deal. They have a new series on Paramount+. Plus, So obviously, they really wanted to get out from underneath this OGL huge issue that was going on. But for those of us who are kind of in the RPG space, we're either fans of it, we're hobbyists in the RPG space, maybe we're, in my case, a publisher that's in the RPG space, it brings up this question of like, well, what the hell is this hobby like now? How do we feel about it? And I see a lot of different feelings from a lot of different people. And thinking about it myself, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I don't really have a firm like, you know, oh, I'm either really, really PO'd and it's going to take tons for me to ever feel happy about this again, or everything's fine now. Everything's for the best. I've heard, I've got friends on both spectrums. I've got friends who are saying, I'm done with Wizards of the Coast. I'm done with D&D. I have moved on to other systems. I'm going to focus on those other systems. And that is where my energy goes. My players are on board. I'm on board and we're done with D&D. I, I do not trust them to do anything anymore. And I'm not going to give them any dollar, you know, from now on because i know what they did and you're like that is not an unreasonable approach given what they had done and given what we know about what they had done and the things that they had tried it's not over right it's not over yet and they did a tremendously good thing people in wizards some did a terrible thing in my opinion and some did a very good thing and i don't know who was who and we don't know what the results are and we don't know what happened inside we do know that the 5.1 srd for which is essentially the core rules for the fifth edition of DD, are out in the creative commons and that makes the hobby very strong not deauthorizing the ogl helped legacy products a lot it meant that there is now the chain of custody of if some person releases their content under the OGL 10A and you use their content, your product, that that chain is not going to be broken because they didn't they didn't break the OGL 10A. So that is really good. But they still did what they did. And they still 
there are still people at Wizards of the Coast who thought that it was a good idea to try to get a bunch of high high visibility, high income third party publishers to sign a terrible license in secret behind an NDA in order to get them on board so that they could then release that same license. They gave them sweetheart deals, better deals than they were going to give everybody else. And then they put out this new license that deauthorizes a 22 year agreement and forces everybody into this really bad spot of essentially giving Wizards of the Coast control over your product. It was really, really bad. And somebody thought that was a good idea. And whoever thought that was a good idea and attempted it, they didn't just think it was a good idea. They didn't just go into a meeting and say, hey, what if we did X? They were going along. They were doing it. They were talking to third party publishers. They were pushing this contract out. They claimed it was a draft. And yet the publishers who received it, some of them said, no, there was a sign sheet. They wanted us to sign it. And I don't think anybody did. We don't know if anybody did, but it was under NDA. So they couldn't even talk about it with their own colleagues. Really slimy practice. Really, really slimy practice. And a bad betrayal of the RPG community to try to get rid of a license that was 21 years old that people have been using for all this time. So that whoever thought that was a good idea, they're still there. They were they're probably in the same position of power they were in to be able to do that in the first place because they got really far with it. And it was, you know, only a small number of events that meant that it didn't happen and it went the other way instead. So all of that happened. And we can't just forget that it happened, which means if we're angry about it, and if it means that like people look at it and say, well, that I'm still done. As long as that, as long as they did that, I'm done with D&D and I'm done with Wizards of the Coast. That's not an unreasonable approach, I don't think. Then there's the other side, which looks at it and says, they didn't break the OGL 108. It's now still works. And we have 5.1 SRD in the Creative Commons. We got what we wanted. We got more than we wanted. Everything's fine, right? And so we're kind of back to, okay, let's go, you know, a bunch of friends of mine. Hey, let's go see the D&D movie. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of like to see how it ranks on Rotten Tomatoes before I go and see it. But I'm not opposed to it. I did call my local game shop and say, I would like to pre-order a copy of Keys to the Golden Vault, the new book that they're putting out. So I'm not of the approach of I'm going to boycott Wizards of the Coast forever. I'm not forgetting that they did it. And I'm not, and I'm keeping an eye on like, what else could they do? Now, the thing is like, there were all sorts of like, well, what else could they do? And I never predicted that they would try to deauthorize the OGL one away. I have multiple times where people said, oh, what if they get rid of it? And I'm like, you're an idiot. They're not going to get rid of it. And it turns out I was really wrong. So I'm probably also wrong about the areas where I think our hobby could be under threat by people who are trying to, you know, change the hobby around in a way so they have more control over it at Wizards of the Coast. And we need to keep an eye on that. Things like, are they going to change D&D Beyond? Are they going to dork with that? Are they going to mess with the licenses for third party groups like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds? Are they going to break D&D Beyond so that Foundry can't draw information from it? Like, what else are they, could they potentially do? And I'm not sure. Those are, those are kind of the big ones. I think screwing with the DMs Guild somehow could be something they could do. Changing the license agreement for third-party virtual tabletops like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds could be something that they could do. Dorking around with D&D Beyond in different ways. Changing what values you get, what permissions you get, what the, the sharing agreements that exist there. They could, they could mess with that. And they probably will mess with all. I don't know if they'll mess with all of that stuff, but they'll mess with some of it. But those, so those are the things that I'm really looking at. But I have been for a long time trying to treat Wizards of the Coast like any other 5e publisher. That when we look at any of the publishers that are creating works for 5e, and we're going to look at a couple today that we look at them kind of the same way. And if I looked at Keys to the Golden Vault and I saw that this was a product that another publisher was putting out, if Keys to the Golden Vault was a book that Cobalt Press was putting out, I'd buy it too. So why wouldn't I buy it in this case? Am I still so mad at them that I want to hold back my, my money from them? Not really. Like the people who made that book are not the people probably who went through this whole thing. 
And I still think there's more that we want from them. I would like them to release the 3.5 SRD into the Creative Commons. I'd certainly like to see that. I'm a little worried that like they made such a big move that made such a big impact that now it's all slowing down and now we're forgetting about, hey, what about these other things that we'd like? I want to know what kind of license they want to put out for, for one D&D. I want to know, are they going to commit to the fact that one D&D is backward compatible? And are they going to release material from one D&D into the 5.1 SRD or a new SRD? And what are the license agreements for that? It's different than the risk that existed when the 5.1 SRD was under threat of this deauthorization. And the hobby overall is a lot stronger for it. We're still seeing all these other publishers that are coming out. But I'm still trying to get a, a handle on like, what is my relationship with Wizards of the Coast now? And I don't know. I don't know what it is yet. I, I don't know how to feel about it. I, I'm not forgetting that I basically lost a month of productivity and of drive and of energy and interest in trying to focus on other elements of this RPG because I was completely focused around the OGL thing. It was really hard for me to be, be creative and write fun things for other things when I'm like, I don't know if this hobby will be around in a year after this. It was really hard. So what, you know, how do I feel about my relationship with Wizards? Well, right now, not so bad that I'm not willing to go pick up the special edition cover of Keys to the Golden Vault. And maybe that's a foolish thing to do. Maybe maybe I should like, well, I'll take a look at what they put on D&D Beyond first. I don't really know. So I'm I'm trying I'm I'm trying to figure that out. I will say that for, you know, not that any of you ever need my permission or or acceptance or anything like that. But whether you decide to completely remove wizards and their products from your from your RPG hobby, that's completely a completely reasonable approach and a reasonable answer for what they had done over the month and even though they 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 said hey we're not going to do that we they pulled back on all their stuff and they released in the creative commons even though they like certainly for them they did more than they had done that you know a couple months ago knowing what they had tried to do if that bothers you enough that you are saying i don't want to have any relationship with Wizards of the coast that's completely reasonable if you're also in the approach that like well they did do this thing and I really love D&D and I just want to love D&D again. And part of loving D&D is seeing the movie and part of D&D is watching the TV show and part of D&D is buying their books and playing playing D&D. I'm I'm on your side too. We all get to choose what our relationship is with this hobby. I don't you know, I don't I don't think it's critical that like everybody deletes their D&D Beyond account. I did not delete my D&D Beyond account. So, I think we each get to decide what our relationship is with Wizards. And we're all going to keep an eye on him. I will say, and I talked about this on the show last week, about trust. And what do we trust Wizards to do? And I think it is very important that we recognize that Wizards of the Coast is not the cornerstone of the hobby. And they are not a... They, they are a commercial-driven company. They're a publicly traded commercial-driven company who is trying to figure out how to monetize D&D in new ways. And that may be good for us and that may be bad for us a lot of times we would say that's probably not great not great and we need to keep that in mind when we think about their trust they have they do have other elements of power that can dramatically affect our hobby again the licenses for roll 20 the licenses for fantasy grounds the dms guild and what they do with D&D Beyond. Those are kind of the big four that I look at, but also what they do with 1D&D. &D. I'm not as worried about 1D&D &D now because we have 5E and, and I love 5E and I've loved it for 10 years. And now I can write freely for 5E 
and we, I can enjoy products for 5e that will probably continue to come out for a while. And if they, if one D&D is in fact compatible with 5e, which so far it seems to be, so far it's reasonably compatible with 5e, then if one D&D is a huge hit, I'm still not, it's still not a problem. We can still use our 5e stuff. So we'll see. But watching that is, is pretty critical. There are definitely people who think that they are going to change one D&D enough that it isn't backward compatible and that that's part of the agreement to put out the 5.1 SRD is that's old stuff and we're not going to write all new stuff and it's not going to be compatible. There are people who think that. I don't know if it's true. I, I, I kind of doubt it because that, that would mean that all the play tests we've seen so far, they pretty much have to start over again. So we have to see. The main point is we each get to decide what our relationship is. Wizards, I am still investigating mine. Speaking of keys to the Golden Vault, one of the promotional things that is probably worth taking a look at if you're, you know, again, if you're of the side of like, oh, sure, we'll, we'll keep looking at what Wizards of the Coast is putting out. You can claim a free copy of one of the adventures from Keys to the Golden Vault on D&D Beyond. It is a one that is kind of loosely tied to the movie, apparently. And let's see, we'll unlock, unlock the heist view content. So it is a, a decent sized adventure. It is for what? Fourth level characters where you go on a heist. Look, that art is great. One thing I'll, you know, whatever you want to say about Wizards of the Coast and all sorts of art, their art is really, really good. Like that is really cool, really cool looking art. So yeah, they have a full adventure. I don't know. We don't know who wrote it. They didn't, they didn't credit it so and i haven't done a big look through the adventure but if you want to get if you have your dnd beyond account if you still have your dnd beyond account oh that map is kind of cool it looks like a blueprint that's interesting oh that's the player's map you actually give that to the player so that's that's how that heist works right if we know about running a heist one of the things is you give the players enough information to be able to plan their heist and then you add complications and stuff like that so that'll it'll be interesting to see i am very curious about how this that map is really good. These, that's a Mike Schley map. I'm pretty sure I recognize that map as a Mike Schley map. So if you have your DD Beyond account, you will find a link in the show notes below. You can click on it. DD Beyond has also been spamming the world with it. So you can go and you can grab your free copy and take a look at it and 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 take a look at this at the adventure of what is it called? Prisoner 13. Prisoner 13, fourth level heist adventure set in Icewind Dale. If you played Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, this location was in that adventure as well. So kind of a fun, my, my characters, I, I thought about it, my, the characters never actually went there. So, so it's pretty interesting. Anyway, it's free, right? Remember I talked about the Dragonlance monsters and I like complained about the power of Dragonlance monsters. At the end of like, well, I didn't pay anything for them. I got a bunch of Dragonlance monsters. And I didn't pay anything for him. Same way. You want to check it out? You want to check out Heist Adventure? You want a free fourth level Heist Adventure? You can get on D&D Beyond, D Beyond right here. Pretty cool. Looking at other 5e products, we have Raiders of the Serpent Sea. So this one showed up in my inbox. I'm like, oh, one of my kicks, one of my many, many Kickstarters sent me a thing. And I lose track of them. Like I, I have hundreds, you know, well, more than a hundred Kickstarters that I've backed. And I get lots of different things. And I was like, Raiders of the Serpent Seas, who is this? And I, it, it was Ar Arcanum Worlds. And I was like, Arcanum, Arcanum Worlds? Who are they again? And I'm trying to remember. And I opened it up and I'm like, it's 498 pages, this thing that I bought. What is this? I'm like, oh, these are the guys that did Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. And these are the guys that did the Baldur's Gate adventure. Yeah, these are like former developers who worked on the Baldur's Gate video games that formed a 5e production studio. They sent me a really nice sample of, they sent me a really nice sample of Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. And now I see Odyssey of the Dragon Lords show up 
all the time when people say, hey, what are some good third-party big adventures that come out? And they had done a Kickstarter a while back for Raiders of the Serpent Sea. 3,200 people backed Raiders of the Serpent Sea, a big fifth edition role-playing game book. It is a, it is a really a, a giant adventure. Yeah, from the lead designers of Dragon Age Origins and Neverwinter Nights. And it is, again, like it, it, I think it was, it, it happened about a year ago. I think it was about a year ago when the Kickstarter occurred. And then I, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll back it. And I forgot about it. And then it came and it showed up. And it is amazing. Like the quality of this work is amazing. Beautiful artwork, 500 page PDF. It includes, the, the, the package that I picked up included both the, the main campaign book, which is a campaign adventure, and the player's guide in PDF format. Very beautiful design huge, you know, just a huge amount of material and obviously more material than I could really dive into and say, is it really, does it run really well? I'm of the opinion that you cannot be sure that an adventure runs really well until you've actually run it. I can't do a really good review of an adventure until I've run it myself and seen it. I can look at it and see things, but I didn't, and, and looking through her, I didn't see anything that jumped right out. I was like, oh, that's really terrible. Most of what got me was the size of the thing, the depth of the thing, and the, the beautiful design, the beautiful layout, and the rest of it. And I was like, wow, this thing's really cool. You know, nice, look at that, great big two-page spread map. Just beautiful, beautiful artwork. Really neat adventure. So if you recall, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords was sort of a Greek adventure. It, it definitely had a sort of tie to Greek mythology in its style. Raiders of the Serpent Sea is Norse instead, so which is kind of neat. It's, I'm, I'm playing God of War. I'm playing the new God of War video game. And it was kind of interesting to watch the Greek go to the Norse between the different gods of God of War games. So really, really neat. And the, the, yeah, the people who ran Odyssey of the Dragon Lords really enjoyed it. Like it was, people really, really liked that adventure. So on the assumption that this is written as well as that is written, it is, it is, you know, definitely if you're looking for a great big campaign adventure, this campaign adventure can take characters from first to 15th level. So great big campaign adventure. It's really cool to see stuff like this because it's like, I don't know if and when I'm going to be able to run it, but this is one of those things that's really awesome about, about 5e as an RPG product. I'm sure I have enough material now to be able to play fifth edition role-playing games the rest of my life. As long as I have players willing to play, and I'm pretty sure I will, I will have opportunities to play adventures the rest of my life i can play published adventures like this i can play all different kinds of things so and yeah so the quality of it is is really outstanding really 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 cool you can pick up the digital versions of this 25 dollars for a 500 page campaign adventure that is a very good that's a very good deal i don't know if they're going to do physical versions of it yet i don't think the physical copies shipped from the kickstarter but if you really want a physical version, you might be able to get the PDF plus a physical version for less if you wait. They also have the uh, $8.61 player's guide. Let's take a quick look through the player's guide. So here's the player's guide. It's 82 pages. And so this is the kind of PDF that you could give out to your players that has things like backgrounds, new backgrounds that, are, that fit the campaign, new playable races, a few different class, new, new archetypes, class, you know, subclass options that you have available, a few new other things. They even have sort of ship 
chips. Same level of quality. This is the kind of thing either your players could pick it up, you know, pay $8.70 and you have an 82 page book. Or you could do my trick of putting it up on Google Drive, limiting the permissions on Google Drive so they cannot download it and print it. And then you can share it with them over Google Drive legally. So they can only view it on Google Drive. They can't download a copy themselves. That's a way. Here's a person with a mushroom on their head. So that's a way that if you wanted to buy one copy of the player's guide and share it among your players, you can do that without having to, without breaking the law, because we don't want to do that. That guy's got teeth on his shield. I think if I, I read that stat block for that dude and he, his shield does in fact bite you. I didn't take a deep look at the monsters either. I didn't look at the monster design. Monster design is one of those areas where it's really hit or miss with third-party publishers. That, that you know, the understanding fifth edition monster design is really an art that not everybody has. And I've seen a lot of third-party products that try to get into monster design and they're just missing exactly how fifth edition monster design is, is supposed to work. Often too complicated, often too wordy and too complicated. So that's always, that's always a trick. The good news there is it's usually pretty easy to fix. You can look at it and you can either change it yourself or you can do some things to fix it. Or maybe you pick up a book that offers you a bunch of different options for either building monsters on the fly or modifying monsters. Maybe there's a book like that coming out soon. Maybe a Kickstarter, March 1st. We'll see. You're going to hear more about that. Really cool stuff. So I just, you know, when I got it, it was a surprise because I forgot about it completely. I forgot about Raiders of the Serpent Sea. I actually had to go back. I'm like, did I do a spotlight in the Kickstarter? I was like, yeah, a year ago, I did the spotlight, the spotlight on the Kickstarter. So really, really neat. Great stuff. So check it out. Raiders of the Serpent Sea. You can find a link into the show notes below to be able to pick up the PDFs from their, from their website. Speaking of Kickstarters, a Kibble's Compendium of Legends and Legacies. So Kibble's a friend of mine. We talk on, we have a, we have a Discord chat where we talk about it. Boy, did we have lots of conversations about the OGL in the day. In fact, I think it was Kibble who was like, I think they might be doing this. And I was like, Kibble, you're on crack. There's no way they could do it. And then it turned out they were right. And I was totally wrong. And I had to come and say, I apologize. I treated you poorly. And it turned out you were completely right. So Kibble has a Kickstarter going on right now for Compendium of Legends and Legacies, Massive Book of Martial Might and Magical Mayhem for D&D 5e. Four new classes, 30 subclasses, 30 new feats, and 240 spells. So obviously this is a product that focuses on character options. If you were looking for a lot of new character options, you want to drop some new character options, either offer them to your players or kind of drop them into your campaign, you can definitely, this, this is definitely one 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 way to go. Definitely a lot of different things here. $20 for the PDF. So pretty reasonable price for the PDF. It looks to be about 260 to 300 pages, depending, which is a pretty, that's a meaty book for 20 bucks. If all the stretch goals are, are, are reached, you can see from the Kickstarter, really good art assets. But here's the thing. Kickstarter publishers, take note. If you want to know the one Mike Shea rule, the official Sly Flourish rule for like, you have vexed me with your Kickstarter or your Kickstarter is makes me really happy. There's one thing you can do that I've seen a lot of people fail at. I've seen big companies fail at that. Are you ready? And that one thing is, can I click on your example content and get it right away? Do not bury your Kickstarter sample behind your store. Do not ask me to give you my dumbass email address. Do not make me go through the checkout process and give you my credit card information for a $0 purchase so I can see the thing you want me to buy. Just give it to me. Put it up on a website. Give it to me. You're trying to sell me on your product. Give it to me. I'm ranting here so that I don't have to be mean to other people because Kibble did it. Kibble, I, I actually was online and we were talking about it. And I said, like, 
Oh, kibble. Are you going to do it? Like, I'm going to go through the page. Are you going to, are you going to make it? And he's like, what, what am I going to do? What, what is it? What do I have to do? And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, Oh, you did it. He's like, what? I said, you gave a PDF where I could just click, click one click and get it. You're trying to sell me. This is a rant to everybody else. You're trying to sell me your product. I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint. There is another big company that is doing a crowdfunding campaign right now. No names mentioned. And they have a sample of their role-playing game product. And when I went to go click on the sample, which I already have, because it's a popular one, it was like, oh, you have to go to our store and you have to sign up for an account and you have to check out and go through the process. And they ask for payment information for a $0 payment. Don't do that. Just give me, if you're making it free, just give it to me. Don't ask for my email address. Don't make me sign up for an account. Just email. There was one that happened recently. There was one Kickstarter that I went through recently and they were giving away a lot of stuff. I can't remember what it was, but it was like 80 pages of material. It was a fully playable adventure. It was like five different things. It was like a playable adventure plus a player's pack plus a bunch of other stuff. It was it was really, it was more than just a sample of a Kickstarter product. It was like a miniature version of a product that was essentially a miniature version of the one they were putting out. And they asked for an email address. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine. For an email address, that's not so bad. But even that one, like, just, just give it to me. You know, just, just, just give it to me. So we have, so here's the sample. And the great thing is you can see exactly what it's going to look like. Beautiful artwork, excellent design. You know, these are the things I always kind of look for. You know, a new class, the Warlord. I think there's been other people that have done the Warlord class, but here you have a new version of the Warlord. Really cool. I just, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful art, beautiful design. So I haven't dug in too deep and be like, how do the mechanics work? And the real trick, this is something that's, that's very hard with this kind of work is, you know, it's one thing, I, mean, I was talking about monsters, right? That monster design is a really tricky thing. But the thing about monster designs, you screw up a monster, you run it once and you don't need it again. Like if it doesn't work well, you don't use it again. Or you can modify it on the fly and it's okay. Character options are tricky because once your players have picked character options, you have to nerf them if it's too powerful or you have to modify it to make it good. And I'm, I'm seeing this with Cobalt Press character options that I'm using now where I have players who are interested in it, but they look at it and like, look, that I picked this, this subclass, but it's so much weaker than these other subclasses I could have had. And we're like, well, what if that was a bonus action instead of a normal action? And like, that would be better. So we have to modify things on the fly, which we can do. And I think this is going to be part of this, the new, the new RPG world we live in. I think I'm going to change is we're going to do more house ruling. We can pick pieces of things that we like from different sources and bring them in. And if we try them out and between us and our players and go, what if it was a little bit better like this? What if it was either a little bit more balanced you know, in one direction, we balance in either direction, whether it's too powerful, we make it a little less powerful, or if it was not that powerful enough, we figure out a way to make it on par with other things. I think we're going to have to do a little bit of, of, of that, but I think that's okay. So if we think about these kinds of things as piles of house rules that other people have offered that have very high quality that we want to bring into our game, we can do it. So that is Kibble's Compendium of Legends and Legacies, $20 PDF. I think there's a physical version as well. A hardcover and PDF bundle that you can pick up as well and a bunch of different options. So you can check that out. So take a look. You might as well go check out the free sample. Take a look at the warlord class to see what you think. You can find a link to Kibble's compendium of legends and legacies down in the show notes below. Let's go through the final questions from the January, 2023 Patreon Q and a virtual DM says after listening to your December 26th, 
episode, I jumped back into the show notes and found a link to your article called The Lazy Encounter Benchmark. Yes, I have heard you discuss this method to determine encounter deadliness many times before. I'm a huge fan of this approach and I use it all the time. Awesome. This article is a great reference. My question is this. Towards the end of the article under benchmark assumptions, you state it assumes you don't have more than one legendary monster in a battle and it assumes you are using more than it assumes you're using more than one monster in a battle. I think I understand the the, the reason considering legendary actions, action economy and, and such. That said, what are your thoughts on adjusting the math for these types of encounters? Is it possible? If so, how? FYI, choosing a monster based on the story and not an encounter is something that needs to be sung from the rooftops. I, I agree with you on that on that last point. I think build your encounter from the story and only think about the math after you've you've thought about that encounter. I think is a good approach. What makes sense for this situation? So yeah, what about a lazy encounter benchmark for single monsters? Luckily, Paul Hughes, who wrote Baga Holding, and he's the designer, one of the designers for Level Up Advanced 5e, and the core designer for the Monstrous Menagerie for Level Up Advanced 5e, has a he he came to the same conclusion that I kind of came to about doing these kind of encounter benchmarks, and they, he includes them in the end of Monstrous Menagerie. Fantastic book, my favorite product of 2022, and. He offers something I didn't offer, which is how do you handle it for single monsters? And his math is very simple. A monster is crossing over into the hard slash deadly threshold if its challenge rating is 50% higher than the average level of the characters. So for example, if you have five 10th level characters, a CR 15 is right on that edge. I actually think that's probably a little conservative. I bet you you could go higher. I've seen, especially the higher level the characters go, I bet you that that dial goes up as well. So that's probably true in tier one and tier two, maybe by about halfway through tier two. And then as soon as you get into like the latter half of tier two and into tier three, the challenge ratings of monsters, you could probably go to double. That a, a challenge rating that is double the level of, double the average character level is probably about as hard as you want to go. And what happens is a monster's attack bonus, the amount of damage that they do gets to be so high, they're just going to drop characters in a single hit every time. Even though their AC is generally not scaling up with their character with their with their challenge rating, the other elements of a monster are scaling up high enough that if you go more than 50% to two times the character levels, it's just going to be, you know, whack-a-mole on characters. The legendary thing, the reason why I don't recommend running multiple legendary monsters in a single battle isn't really to do with the encounter balance as much as the complications of trying to handle those legendary actions. If you have two monsters with sets of legendary actions, you don't really need the legendary actions because the whole point of having legendary actions is to balance the action economy. And if you have two monsters, you're already doing that. But one thing you can do is essentially, there's a couple tricks you could do to take a legendary monster and make a non-legendary version. One of the things you can do is just pop out those legendary actions and double the amount of damage that they're doing with their normal actions, mostly their normal attacks and stuff. So not like a breath weapon or something like that, but they're normal attacks. You basically take the damage that they would have done with those legendaries and shuffle it back into their normal damage. The other thing you can do is take those legendary actions and just tag them onto their main action. They will get a lot of things they could do, like a dragon would have six attacks that they make. But that way you don't have to worry about staggering your legendary actions in between other characters' turns when you have multiple monsters. So if you have multiple adult black... Let's, let's, let's do an example. So here's like an adult black dragon at CR 14. And let's say you were going to run two of these. So there's those two black dragons that live in the swamp in the Forgotten Realms. I forget their names, but there's two black dragons... 
that are are actually twins and what if you're going to run them both in one battle well you, it, the idea of having this pile of legendary actions that both dragons do is kind of a pain so you could have one of them using legendary actions and one of them not or you could just say well we're going to get rid of the legendary actions and in this case they can do like a tail attack three times which is an extra 45 points of damage they can do their detect they can do their wing attack so one thing you could do is you could throw the wing attack and an extra tail attack into their action so instead of make three attacks one with a bite two with a claw you could do one bite two claws and a tail and then a wing attack and it would basically get all of its actions at once the other thing you could do is basically other than the breath weapon you could just essentially double the amount of damage that they're doing with their bite the the bite in their claw attacks which would make up for the three tail attacks so you know those are two ways that you could sort of take a legendary monster and sort of smash it back into being a normal monster again you might still want to give them legendary resistances you might give them fewer legendary resistances so it's not so hard to crowd control them but yeah i hope that virtual dm i hope that that helps with that idea of how do you handle a single monster you need to change the math for a single monster most of it is what's the highest challenge rating of a single monster that's not going to just turn the characters into tent pegs and bang them into the ground and check on monsters menagerie and and paul hughes's work who goes into more detail on that climb climb a says what is the best way to deal with players making interesting decisions that conflict with their character's alignment for example a player with the lawful good alignment decides to stab someone they're interrogating i don't want to take agency away from the characters but i do feel a check is necessary there's a couple of things one is and and you're free to do it however you want to do it but i'll offer my advice you asked you ask, so I'm going to offer my advice. I don't worry about alignment at all. I never even think about it. That the characters might put alignment down on the character sheet, and that's fine. But I never hold them to that. I hold them by the actions that they take, and I hold them to the what kind of character they are and what that means for them. And I think it's very interesting to watch characters evolve in their approach to the world as they're going through the interesting things that are happening in the game. That said, there is an area where I, I, I kind of draw a line, and that is when we think about our session zero and what kind of game we want to run. So I, for example, in my session zeros, one of the things I make clear is that for me as a, as a game master, one of my lines is I do not want to see player character originated torture. So the idea, if, and we, we had a situation actually in my empire, the ghouls game where they had a villain, they had captured him. He was a really bad dude. He was, he had no, he was like a half undead thing. So he didn't really have a soul. And one of the NPCs ended up killing him. Just just cut his head off because you know she, he was he was baiting them and they just killed him and which was fine with him he didn't care, and but it was this interesting scene, and and that I you know I don't want to have torture I don't want to have characters have torture and also torture in my game is a veil at best which means there might be you know you might recognize the fact that torture had occurred here but I'm not going to describe it I just I'm not interested my players aren't interested I don't want to put it in there so you can sort of steer alignment a little bit in the kind of flavor of the game you want to have what's the th- what's the driver that is getting the character to engage with the campaign might lead towards things like are they going to stab someone that they've that they've that they've that they're interrogating but otherwise I don't let it conflict with their alignment I I I, I kind of set the stage of I don't want characters to go outside of these these ranges with their actions. I don't want player on player violence or character on character violence. 
unless both agree and both the players are good, but even that's, you know, it can be tricky. There's certain things that I have in my session zeros where I just say like in this box, I want the players, I want the characters to be heroes. I want them to be the good forces, the forces of light in a world of darkness. I don't want, I'm not a big into like anti-heroes or villains in my game. I just think that they can go off the, off the walls too much for, for me, but I know other people enjoy it. So the answer is I don't worry about it. And I think it's interesting to watch the characters grow within the bounds that we all agree to. The other thing to keep in mind with this is that's a good opportunity to use a hey let's pause for a minute and say pause for a minute do you feel like that's in the nature of your character is this is this something that's going on and is everybody else cool with with this idea as players are we okay with it and then say yeah no it's fine it's an interesting character you go okay game on and you go back and you do it so if you think that it's going to make players uncomfortable check check with them stop pause the game ask are we as players are we okay with the direction it feels a little dark to me i just want to make sure everybody else is cool with it and they go no it's cool you go game on climb i hope that helps paul b says given your history of analyzing and building around the 5e cr system and the emergence of the lazy rpg talk show what are your thoughts about putting forth a set of monster converters to other popular fantasy rpg systems while i know others exist i can think of no better person no no one better suited to and more trusted thank you very much more trusted to put out this kind of product i don't think you need it and i think the best tool you want a converter i will give you a converter that you can keep in your head that will serve you in many, many RPGs, very reskin, reskin existing stat blocks. So let's say, for example, you want to run Shadow of the Demon Lord, and you have some idea for a monster in your fifth edition game that you want to use in Shadow of the Demon Lord. Instead of writing a converter that takes your fifth edition monster and turns them into a Shadow of the Demon Lord monster, look in Shadow of the Demon Lord, look at the monsters it has, pick a stat block that is close to what you're trying to create, and call it that. And stick to the mechanics that that game has. But reskinning, reskinning monsters particularly, but reskinning in general is a tremendous lazy DM, lazy GM tool. It is so powerful. And it's because you took the work that like Rob Schwab put in his monster design and you get to capitalize off of all that work he did just by naming it something different. So if you're going from 5th edition to 13th age or something else, maybe you're going the other direction where you have some cool monster in, in a, a game like Fantasy Age and you want to have a D&D version. Find the D&D stat block that fits that closest, that's the right sort of appropriate challenge level, right kind of attacks, and just call it something different. Reskinning far more powerful than writing a converter and getting to understand how the the mechanics work for the monsters in the new system you're running gives you a better idea of like exactly how to reskin but yeah i don't think you need a direct converter from one to the other and i think even if you're going from like a heavy mechanic focus game like pathfinder let's say you're playing pathfinder 2 and you're like i love the balor in pathfinder 2 it's this crazy powerful balor and i want to put it into fate well in that case you don't need a converter you just generally think like okay in fate what would a what would a balor look like given fate's rules and you do that so you don't i don't think you really need converters from one system to the other i think it's more about having these techniques that work well across systems like reskinning and i think just reskinning is so powerful i think it's underrated i think under i think reskinning even now i've been i've been screaming from the rooftops and I still think it's an under, an undervalued technique because it is really, really good. Greg E says, I always struggle with role-playing encounters and published content because I'm afraid to overwrite the canon. When a player asks about something that isn't on the page in front of me, I'm afraid to make up an answer because it might contradict other information that will come up later. I know how to read through a whole adventure before game time, but I can't memorize every facet of a 200-page adventure. How do you deal with this? Not well. I'm not great at this. And I think people who have watched me going through Scarlet Citadel can see I'm not great at it. There is one really important point that I think 
focuses on this topic. Running published adventures is not easier than running homebrew adventures. Just because they're giving you a whole lot of material that you can use, digesting and understanding and linking and modifying that material to suit your game is not easier than making it up from scratch. And many DMs, many GMs will tell you it's harder. It's harder to run a published adventure because you're taking the work someone else did and you are trying to understand it and tie it together and draw it together and make it your own and tie in the character backgrounds and do all this stuff that it's harder than if you made your own. So why do you do it? Why would you run a published adventure? Well, half of GMs don't. Or half of 5e DMs that I surveyed don't. They run their own. So the other half run. I argue that I still run them because the amount of material, the details of the material and the quality of the material that I get from a published adventure is worth the effort. That I'm not going to be able to write something as interesting and clean and detailed and fun and with the artwork and the maps and all of the stuff that I can share as Scarlet Citadel. If I was going to make my own multi-level dungeon, it would not be nearly as well-produced, well-tested, well-thought-out as what I get in Scarlet Citadel. So for me, it's worth the extra work to run published modules. I get more from them, but they are not necessarily easier to run. So that's a, a big point. But specific to your thing, we do have to be comfortable to answer questions on the spot, even if we think they might contradict something later. And the good news is all of the stuff that's in a published adventure is also not true until we put it on the table. So if you put something out and it does contradict something from that happens later, you can change the stuff later too, so it still works. It can still be okay. But yeah, it's a trick. And some adventures are better at it than others. Some adventures make it easier to skim and, and figure it out. And I think understanding the scope of the adventure, understanding who the major NPCs are, understanding what the major twists and turns are going to be, before you run it will help you a little bit with this. And some adventures are better at it than others. And two examples I'll give is Scarlet Citadel is not great at this. And the reason Scarlet, it's so wordy. There's so much text in Scarlet Citadel. It's really, really hard for me to get a full understanding of who's where and who's doing what and what, where they go. It's very, very wordy. On, in, a, in, a, in a contrast to that is Light of Zaraxxus, the adventure that's included in the Spelljammer box set. I have all of my complaints about Spelljammer. I really wish they had created a bigger source book rather than three books and 12 sheets of cardboard. I really wish it was one big book instead of instead of a box set with with a lot of stuff I don't really need and and no campaign guide. But boy, that adventure is really easy to run. I have found it very easy to run. I run an, uh, every other week. I've been running a Light of Zaraxxus game and it's been very straightforward and very easy to run. So the, which adventure you are running can also help with this. And then a lot of it is because there's just not a lot of words. Light of Zaraxxus is a five level campaign adventure, five level adventure, I think four or five level adventure that's only 64 pages. So not a lot of text, lots of big images, not a lot of text, which means it's easy for me to pick up and understand and grok. It's harder to do that with a big, thick adventure. Empire of the Ghouls is a little harder. Empire of the Ghouls isn't so bad because each chapter sort of runs on its own. I don't have to worry about things bleeding out to other chapters. But Scarlet Citadel is harder because players can go up and down in this multi-level dungeon. You have to kind of know where everything is. So Greg, I hope that helps a little bit. But the answer is not well. It's, it's a hard thing to deal with. And it's important to remember that published adventures are not necessarily easier to run than running your own thing. The other thing is sometimes we make mistakes. And guess what? You can just say, hey, I made a mistake. It's actually this other way. We're just playing games around the table with our friends and family. We do not, we're not making a movie that 
you know, millions of people are going to watch. And if there's a plot hole, everyone's going to know it. It's okay to go and fix things. So if you did have this little contradictory thing and it really hurts something in the adventure later, retcon it. And it's okay to retcon it. It's, you know, talk, talk to the players, explain why you're doing the retcon and just retcon it. That can, that can work too. Timothy G says, as my patronage is shortly coming into its third year. Holy cow, Timothy, thank you so much for supporting Sly Flourish for three years. Really appreciate it. I thank you for your continued inspiration materials. I thank you for your support. I found your one-page guides to be excellent and your recently released Dungeons of Fate one-page guide to be no exception. Thank you very much. Dungeons of Fate is a lot of fun. I'm considering introducing a group of teachers to TTRPGs in general and would like to use Dungeons of Fate rules in a teacher's conference for this purpose. This is my request for permission to use this material. Thank you in advance for your consideration regarding, regardless of your answer wonderful so i why did i put this in here timothy you don't need my permission and actually you need even less permission than you did before what is dungeons of fate dungeons of fate is my fate condensed hack to make a DD like game and i during this whole ogl debacle one of the things i did is i released the entire dungeons of fate text to a creative commons attribution 4.0 international license which means you can use it however you want all you have to do is attribute it back to mike shea at sly flourish you do not you can use it for commercial work you can use it for for your own work you can use it however you want and there is both the text of Dungeons of Fate available on this website. This is all linked in the show notes below. And also a PDF of Dungeons of Fate. The PDF, the text of the PDF is available under the, no, actually the whole work. The whole work is available under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. You can just use it. And it is a six page of fate that lets you build D a D&D-like experience, but using fate, using fate rules all under the creative commons. It talks about how to do magic. It talks about how to build out your characters. It talks about how to make monsters. It has a character sheet in here that you can use. You can use this character sheet however you want, a character sheet to build out things. And it has a player's guide. It actually has a leveling system. You can level up to 10 levels in this. So I don't really expect that this game is used for like heavy D&D kind of games. Just go play D&D. But you, there is a leveling system that's in there. And I added a 5e conversion guide. How can you take things from 5th edition and convert it into this? So if you have a 5th edition campaign or adventure, you want to play Serpent Sea, but you want to play with fate rules, here's how you can convert everything over. It's more philosophy than direct conversion. Here's an idea like how monster conversion works over when you're moving from one, one element to the other. All of that released under a Creative Commons license, which means anybody can go download it, use it however you want, give it to your friends, use it in teacher conferences, make a product you use it and build build products out of it so all of that is linked in the show notes below i was i, I did a bunch of work on dungeons of fate during the ogl debacle because i was like maybe we need another way to kind of have a DD like game and it does hardly touches any of the actual DD rules so it meant i already was releasing under a non-commercial license and i said why don't i release it under a commercial license as well that makes it even more accessible so it is now released under a commercial license and anybody can use it so check that out it is in the show notes below that's dungeons of fate and to Timothy, you have full access. I would like to say that this Dungeons of Fate guide that I put together is, in fact, sponsored by the patrons of Cyphers. The patrons, it's because of you that I have the time and the money and the energy and the freedom to make products like this and put it out for everybody to be able to play. So to the patrons of Cyphers, thank you very much. Friends, I want to thank you for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things 
RPGs. If you enjoyed this show, consider signing up to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free adventure generator PDF sent directly to you in email. You also get a weekly RPG-related email sent to you every week. You can also support me directly on Patreon, where you get access to the monthly Q&A, dedicated Discord channel, the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a bunch of exclusive adventures, a bunch of really awesome stuff. And you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion, all available in beautiful offset printed versions. All of the links for those are in the show notes below. Thank you very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.